So Brad, in about 10 days, I head uh, back north to Alaska, back to Juneau, Alaska for the north Comics to Camp. Alaska, yes. Yes, that, uh, ro- the uh, Alaska Robotics Comic Camp. And um, I've got to say, I'm very excited. I think it's been, what, four years since last I went? What, the pandemic, uh, I think 2019 is the last time I went? It would have been 2019 because in 2020, we were both going to go. And of course, uh, COVID happened and that got canceled. So I think the last time you were there would have had to have been 2019. 2019. Well, so let me tell you this. I'm packing for Alaska and it's spring. It's not winter in Alaska. It's springish, at least spring adjacent in Alaska. Uh, I got to tell you, my wardrobe is not prepared for Alaska. <laughs> I'm I'm shoving aside the three pairs of flip flops that I own. And I'm like, what can I find behind yeah. my Los Angeles pairs of shorts that can yeah. maybe work for Alaska? I got I got nothing, Brad. I, yeah, got nothing. I mean, I, I can't imagine you actually own a pair of long johns right not like no, like long not johns, for 20 years lined jeans nothing like that you're all tropical all the time down there can i be ignorant for a second does that exist lined jeans oh That's yeah a thing? yeah jeans with the little inner lining that keeps the the heat in oh absolutely those are how do those you not look like johnny have. fat thighs wearing lined jeans though <laughs> <laughs> well, I always found him very comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it gives me the support and warmth I so sorely need. That's right. Uh, that's right. Yeah, no, I got nothing. I actually had to go out the last time I went to Alaska, and I still have them. I had to buy uh, waterproof boots because it's sort of oh, yeah. uh, it's sort of heavy mud situation yeah. when it rains in Alaska. You know, you get and. Uh, uh, Juno is right by the glacier, and so you mm-hmm. get a lot of runoff uh, where, near where we're camping. Um, and so, anyway, I had to get special because I don't know, none of my shoes for some, Southern California wardrobe is not built for Alaska. It's like no. a totally different world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing uh, just to think about how different it's going to be up there. And, and now, what all do you pack? You've got the long pants. You've got you've got sweaters. I'm sure sweatshirts, uh, gloves, boots. Do you got to take like bear repellent up there? I here's the funny thing. I don't even know what bear repellent would be other than me uh, screaming and running in the other way. I, 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 I guess is that a spray that you're talking about? Is yeah, that what that I think don't they have a spray that's bear I'm, repellent? Sure, I'm sure they do. Humans yeah. probably came up with something. All I know is to wave my hands around and go, hey, bear. Hey, hey big guy. Hey, bear. You don't run from a bear because you're not going to outrun them. No. You have to make yourself look big and announce yourself to them. Well, I've been, I've been working on making myself look big for the last 54 years. <laughs> I tell you what, the pandemic has done a lot of work for me yeah. in making myself look big. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so that's, I, I, no, I don't have any anything in the way of repellent, uh, nor do I have anything in the way of attractant for cute Alaska animals. Like, I always want to see a bald eagle when I'm up there. I told you what happened the last time I was there. Animal attractant? Usually that's just rubbing a raw steak on your your chest and <laughs> you're, you're looking for an animal re- attractant <laughs> well, you, know I mean? like, you want to see the cute animals like i oh I, I, I don't want to see a bear but i would love to see a fox oh wouldn't that be cute i would love to see a, a bald They'll eagle or your a hawk. face off they're not these are not friendly animals you're not going up to you're not going to visit the princess in the enchanted forest these animals will bite you as soon as look at you yeah, i want to see like a that? fox do you like that city boy is over here imagining that I'm going to walk out in Alaska and go la, la, and all the little birds are going to land yeah. on my hand. Yeah, I could just see Dave with his finger out waiting for a bluebird to land on his finger and it finally
only happens then it takes a chunk out of his thumb while he's there. <laughs> a bald eagle with like a 12-foot wingspan just yeah. takes my finger off oh, the, as it the, goes the by. The talents will go right through your arm. They, oh they my don't God. screw Dave around. Dave and I were, were walking by uh, a, a small, not a river, but it was sort of glacier runoff river, and um, a bald eagle landed on the other side of the river. And they are just large birds. Not to, yes. not to, not to be nerdy about it, but good God, that's a big bird. That's a big, big bird. Yeah, that's a I, lot of that's a lot of that's a lot of bird. A lot of bird I, think, there, I, I think listen, as far as wildlife and you, I, I think I think you're probably safest on the inside of the you know, the only the only wild I want to hear about from you is wild turkey. That 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 have a nice <laughs> <laughs> pour, pour that into a nice uh, little uh, glass and you're all set. Oh, there's no way that I'm going to beat that joke. So I'm going to say hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics. And making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, the author of the Web Comics Handbook and the creator of Evil Link. And I'm his pal Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Stripped. And this week's Hour of Comics Advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. And a reminder to everyone that you could be watching us stream live each week as we record the show for our Comic Lab Live Gab friends. And there's a concurrent chat running right now alongside the stream where we answer your questions before, during, and after the show. And if you happen to miss the live stream, the live stream for Life Lover Learning, it is archived each week so you can watch the stream later. That will rebrand it. We'll call it the love stream. Instead the of love live stream. No, Brad, that's so. something from your branding. That is not, I'm not, I am not signing on to that. That is not something that I, I'm not going along with a love stream. No, thank you. That doesn't so fit do with my us. lifestyle. <laughs> so do join us over at Patreon and Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. Now that I know that I need to go buy line jeans. Uh, line jeans. To, You'll never look start back. the show. That's right. I, so how do I, what does, what is it lined with? Is it fur inside the jeans? Uh, I had mine lined with like a, uh, a like, like a sweatpants material, like Jersey oh. material, just something light. And, and maybe it had a little cotton or from some, you know, fiber filling inside there, but it was just, it was just lined with an extra layer of protection to keep the heat in. I, okay, boy, I really sometimes you and I, I think, walk very different worlds, especially like if I'm if I ask you what you did over the weekend in in the midst of a Philadelphia winter and yeah. you're like, oh, I had to go de-ice something in my basement like a pipe was going to burst or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's just a world that I I just don't live, haven't lived, will never live. And yet at the same time, you asked me one time, like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I got I got some new furniture, so I have to bolt it to the wall because I live in an earthquake area. Right, right. And this thing could kill me in my sleep if I don't bolt it to the wall. <laughs> so it's just we live very different lives. Anyway, let me jump us into our first question, Brad. This comes into us from Kevin over at patreon.com slash comic lab. And Kevin writes, hey, I've been listening to y'all for over a year on Spotify and had to join because the great advice so thanks to both of y'all by the way two uses of y'all kevin i'm yeah. gonna guess that's a regionalism kevin i'm guessing you're <laughs> south of the mason dixon anyway what's the best way for a graphic novelist to build an audience and promote without the option of daily or regular strip creation i'm working with a few blogs and i'm reaching out to indie comic podcasts instagram is minimal 
With my first release, I have built up my email list and plan to keep growing that. The project is a series of five books. I plan to release the first book for free digitally in exchange for their email to get people into the storyline. But Brad, broadly speaking, and this is one that we dip back into every once in a while. What can we answer for Kevin with the basic question? How do you build your audience? Right. And, and this is something that's important for us to talk about, because I think sometimes there's like a, a misunderstanding about like, do, do, do the things that we talk about apply to comic books and graphic novels? Uh, and the answer is yes, because both Dave and I do comic books and graphic novels, right? That we, yes. we have a, we have our roots in comic strips and Dave still does a comic strip, but we both do uh, graphic novels. So uh, everything that we talk about actually applies to all of that. And, and so yes. if you can go back over the last, uh, you know, uh, sh- uh, shows that we've done, I think we're getting close on our, to our 300th show coming up pretty soon. Everything that we've been talking about applies to this, but it, this is not a, this is not the first time we've gotten a question like this. So let's go through it. There's, there's two different ways that I could see doing it. The one Uh, The first one we'll talk about is the one that Dave and I really advocate strongly. And there's there's another way that you could do it that and you can I'm going to tell you who you need to look at for that. But the first one is is to do everything that we've been talking about on this show, particularly perk your ears up when you start hearing us say things like frequent, consistent and significant. Right. You've heard us say that before. Update as frequently as you can so that each update is significant and that's super important mm-hmm. so that the updates can be consistent in quality and in update schedule, frequent, consistent, significant. So what that means for you as a graphic novelist is that you've got to write that book. You've got to write that comic in such a way that you can post it online in frequent, significant bursts. Okay, so that's why you always hear Dave and I saying every page has to mean something. Every page has to have something important happening on it. And I even go a little bit further with that, saying that I I try to write every page or every update that I do. I don't think about my comic in terms of pages anymore. I think of them kind of in terms of update. Uh, But I tried it for every uh, uh, section that I know I'm going to post online. I try to have an entry point at the beginning because I'm always thinking every page that I'm posting online, somebody's seeing that page for the first time that they're discovering my work. So they might discover Evil Inc. on page 12. Page 12 has to have some kind of an entry point there. It's got to have something that leads somebody in. It can't be a continuation of a, of a conversation from the previous page. It's got to have an entry point. It's got to have, it's got to be written in such a way that the person that's just discovering it online can, uh, uh, can get a sense of what's happening. That's really difficult. It's, it, it means you're going to write this comic that you're going to write this book completely differently than the books that you grew up reading. But if you want to build an audience online, this is one way that you're going to do it. And that is by posting, not necessarily in pages. Uh, for me, it's a half a page at a time because my pages are very dense. For Dave, it's it, sometimes it might be two pages at a time. 
but mm-hmm. you've got to release this thing online in significant bursts that I've got an entry point. And then by that last panel, something important happens. Yeah. And I was just going to expand on Brad's last thought there, which is Brad publishes in half page chunks. And the advantage there is that uh, when you get it in book form, you've got two significant moments usually per page. A very satisfying read when that happens. For me, I tend to, I would say 80 to 90% of the time, release a page a week um, or a page and update. And then, like Brad said, sometimes if I know I'm not going to stick the landing within one page, I will release two, three pages. I think the largest one I ever did was a five page release. And then the most extreme version of this is actually the Webtoons model, which uh, people tend to release either a quarter chapter, half chapter, or sometimes a full chapter in an update. And you get those long scrolls. They're like, boy, this person really put in the work, but they only update every month or so with that, with that one big scroll, you know, and, and, but that's a very significant update. That is, it's consistent, it's frequent, and it's, it's it's significant because it's that one big chunk. So uh, those are your sort of your options, but the idea is to keep it frequent enough so that you stay somewhat top of mind to people. If you caught them once, they'll come back if it's frequent. Yeah. Significant is the emotional response that gets them to come back. It makes them say, I was satisfied last time. I'm imagining I'm going to be satisfied again if I go back, if it's significant, right? And then the consistency is you're bringing as near as you can your A game with each update so that it's it's it looks good, it feels good, it looks as professional as you can make it. Uh, and the whole thing as a result, frequent, consistent, significant, it's satisfying. It's a satisfying right. read. Um, and, and then here's what happens from that. You're thinking, okay, but how does that grow my audience? Yeah. Not right away. That's the no. thing. It takes years of doing that, years, and then you will start to find that those readers will pass along word to the people in their life that they know best will respond to your work. Mm -hmm. And that actually is incredibly powerful. That word of mouth thing saves you tons of time of reaching out to tens of thousands of people that won't like your work. If I go out to the five people that I know will love Brad's work, that is so much more effective than if I advertise to 10,000 people that A, don't like comics, B, don't like comics about superheroes, C, don't like comics about superheroes that also are, are having sexy fun. Uh, yeah. Like that, then no one's gonna, those people are not gonna, that's wasted advertising, you know what I mean? Right. But how much better for me to go to the five people I know in my life that if I just connect them to Brad, they're gonna love Brad's work. And yeah. that takes years of doing frequent, consistent, significant, and then I make that recommendation for you. Yeah. Now, before I'm going to go over and talk about the second way to do this, I want to I want to come back and just put a bullet point right here on that significant part. How do you make that page significant? Well, if you're working in humor, that last panel lands on a punchline that goes without saying. Uh, But there's other ways. There might be something surprising that happens. And remember, it's got to be surprising to that person that just read starting with today's post, right? Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you can put a cliffhanger there. That's going to get old fast. So you don't want to do that time after time after time. Then you end up with that old Spider-Man newspaper cartoon. I was Uh, just going to reference Spider-Man newspaper comic strips. Yes. Yeah. That, that worked in newspapers. It ain't going to work today, Uh, but you can't pause you for the benefit of people that don't know what the the faults of the Spider-Man comic strip. Can you explain that? Or would you like me to explain it? Take it it and run. Yeah. So uh, Spider-Man, because it had obvious success in the sixties and seventies, they, they started to syndicate as a comic strip here's the problem with syndicating an adventure story in a comic strip the first panel because you were never sure that someone had picked up monday's newspaper 
Tuesday's newspaper, the first panel was always sort of a recap, right? Yep. And then the second panel was a tiny, tiny, tiny incremental advancement on the story. Yep. And then the third panel was always sort of either cliffhanger or foreshadowing of what was coming tomorrow or yeah. some version of tune in next time, spider friends, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so the joke among cartoonists is that kind of never went anywhere because it always sort of felt like running in place because you were recapping, you were moving the story a tiny little bit, and then you were foreshadowing what was going to happen tomorrow to yeah. get people to come back. And it just it didn't work but the point i think brad was trying to make is that that's an extreme version of what we're trying to do yeah which is to make it welcoming somewhat just somewhat yeah for a new person so that they go i get the idea it's a it's superheroes all right yeah. i get the idea we're in space i get the idea it's a sword and sorcery comic all right that right. i get it um you just want to give them enough of an in so that they can jump in yeah, and 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 let them know kind of what's going on, right? Yes. Uh, but but there's the, the, there's lots of ways for you to make that post significant, right? And, and and again, surprising. Every once in a while, a cliffhanger, a punchline, something big happens. Uh, it, it, there's got to be something there that makes that moment uh, uh, special, okay? And by the way, this is going to, in my opinion, this is going to improve your overall book because we've all read comics where, you know, somebody's, uh, it's, they, we devote a page to somebody making a pot of coffee, right? He yes. reaches for the coffee grounds. He pours the coffee in. He fills the, the pot with water and we see every step. And then at the end, he hits the button and it starts to percolate. Well, that's a boring page unless unless it's it's unless it's magic coffee or something. I don't know that anybody needed to see that process. I was going to say, Brad, we've all bought that ash can at SPX at one yeah. point and <laughs> said, no, thanks to ever buying that ash can again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a that's a problem that a lot of sort of traditional indie comics would suffer from is it yeah. was much ado about nothing. It, it just went nowhere. Nothing happened. Nothing went on. Um, and uh, so the idea of the, 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 the significance can be uh, internal to the character. It can be external to the character, like a joke uh, yeah. that's, that resonates. It can be um, a dramatic moment. It can be a reveal. It can be yes. uh, something as simple as an explosion or a moment of action. Um, there's a million ways you can make that ending compelling. But it's one of the reasons why, to Brad's point, it makes the story more interesting to flip page by page by page, because it's the same kind of thing that made Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes stick around, mm -hmm. uh, is because those stories still pop because Conan Doyle had to make each update have some kind of scintillating twist or turn or reveal right. or interesting character development so that you tuned into Sherlock Holmes the next time it came out because uh, yeah. it was an installment. So you're trying to do the same thing with your comic. Yeah. Now here, there, it, now you, I can hear you right now saying, oh, I can't do that. I don't want to write my book that way. That's horrible, Geiger. There is another way to do it. And Dave kind of touched on it with the Webtoon stuff. You could release it ebook by ebook, right? Yes. Or you in, or at least in larger cha uh, chunks. chunks. You could do yeah. it chapter by chapter or book by book, uh, closer to what A is going on on webtoons. Uh, B also look to independent authors, right? I always right. tell you, and I'll say this again: you want to see some people that absolutely have this on lockdown. Uh, look at romance authors. They're they're uh, they're overwhelmingly independent just like us 
and they are doing stuff on social media and and promotion and marketing that kicks our asses time in and time out and that's the way they're releasing their stuff they might be yes. doing like chapters on patreon for their backers behind uh you know a, a behind a paywall but in terms of what they're releasing to the outside world it's usually entire ebooks or maybe you know an, an ebook and then later an audio book or something like that but they're doing bigger chunks. So now what it, obviously the problem is you can't do that every week. You can't do that. Heck, you can't do that every month, probably right now. Your challenge on social media for audience building is you've got to use social media in the interim to build interest, to retain interest. And that mm -hmm. means you've got to hit those four C's of social media that we talk about all the time. And you've got to find other things to talk about, whether it's maybe a, a sneak preview. Here's what I'm working on right now. And, and by the way, there are 147 different ideas that you could come up with. I'm not going to go through them all, but we've we've talked about uh, 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 lots of things that we can do on social media, like offering a time lapse video of you working on uh, a page, talking about your pride and joy, uh, sharing uh, things, and also not just the comic, just in general, what works on social media is surprise being social right? It's you talking about right. somebody else's work on their thread. It's you being involved in a friendly way on somebody else's uh, conversation that, uh, that you can put some stuff into it. It's not people, the biggest mistake people like us make on social media is we think that all we can post is the comic or, right. or us working on the comic. Uh, social media is social. The stuff that works on social media is you commenting, you sharing, you uh, 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 doing content curation. It's not just about you. It's about being social, that kind of stuff. If you're going to do this on an, on, on, uh, by uh, producing larger bursts, then you got to find something to do to build audience in the meantime. And it means you're going to have to get social. Absolutely. And and just because I don't know that we've mentioned it yet, the four C's, as Brad wonderfully coined them for social media, are creation. And that's everything that you're making. That's Brad. That's right. everything from the comic to the time lapses to the commentary that you might have about your own comics or the behind the scenes. That's all the creation, right? That's number one of the four C's. Number two is curation. You're telling other people that not only are you going to be getting my comic when you follow me or jump into my world, I'm going to share other interesting things, other similar yes. worlds, other other genres, other artists that you might like that that uh, I will curate for you. That's number mm -hmm. two. Number three is commercial. As you start to build up that audience, you're going to sprinkle in, hey, I'm doing this comic convention. Hey, I have a new book. Hey, I've got a new pin. Uh, there's a little bit of salesmanship in there. And that's okay, but it's balanced out by the other four C's, right? And yeah. the fourth one, the final C, the one that everyone enjoys the most is kindness yeah. because you're being social. You're engaging yeah. with people. You're making yourself a welcome place in a sometimes unwelcome online world. And in so doing, you're being social, as Brad said. Right. And it's again, it's hard for some of us, but we can't just produce the comic and expect an audience to magically appear yeah. you have to do the social work to sort of get people to come in at first you have to go out to the world you've got your website as we always say but you're syndicating it to as many places as you can 
whether right. it's Instagram, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Blue Sky, whether whatever it's going to be for you. Uh, it, I you're it ain't going to be Mastodon. It out I know that. What's that? It's never, it ain't going to be Mastodon. Mastodon. No, it ain't going to be Mastodon. Uh, it makes me, it brings me such joy, by the way, because I know you're going to be right. Like every time you're like, guys, it's not going to be Mastodon. Ain't it ain't Mastodon. Mastodon. I know that. I it know, ain't my first rodeo. It's not going to be Mastodon. Yeah. So if you're looking for things to do, uh, one of the most important things to do is comment on other people's stuff. You know, find find other yeah. people who are doing stuff that maybe is similar to yours and comment, make a friendly comment, comment. but also comment with wit, comment with yeah. insight, make it, it. Don't just be like, ha, or loved it. You know, that kind of thing. And well, wit, wit is, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to massage that just a little bit because uh, wit is not easy for a lot of people to do, especially not in typed form. That a lot of true. people think they're being witty and they're being jerks. All right. So true. be be very. But I would I would say friendly friend. I'm going to go yeah, for friendly. Nobody wants you to be funny because <laughs> I've seen it happen so many times that you actually come off. It's so friendly, friendly, friendly be a yeah. friendly commenter. Find other people doing similar things to you and make a friendly comment, make a friend. And, and by the way, it's this kind of networking that's actually beneficial. All that stuff that you think you're networking at a comic convention, I've always kind of rolled my eyes at that, but this kind of networking pays off, right? Because now you can start yeah. to make some, some connections with other people and you can, over time, you can start to build uh, uh, professional relationships. This is this is a good use of your time. If you're going to be doing that, uh, you're going to have to take a maybe for the first time ever, a completely different look at what you're doing on social media. Right. And so what did you not hear Brad and I say? We didn't say pay to advertise places. Um, oh, it God, doesn't no. work. It's not worth it's not worth the money that you're spending, especially if your comic is not naturally bringing in people already. Um, you sort of have, as we say before in the 20 comics commandments, you have the audience you deserve. And if you're bringing in five new people a week, 10 new people a week, then, then, uh, great. It's working, but advertising is not going to triple that. You know what I mean? It's, and if, and if it does triple it, as soon as you turn off that advertising spigot, those people are going to go away as well. Um, yeah. it's, it's the natural flow of people that ultimately become your longstanding audience. Um, and, and that's why we have to, we always say, um, make a good comic first because nothing else matters if you don't have that good comic. And then from there, building from there, and I know that seems counterintuitive, like, yeah, but I'm talking about how do I build an audience? And Brandon are like, yes, making a good comic is how you build an audience. And I know that sounds frustrating because it sounds like we're, we're dinging you for something. We're not. Yeah. Brad and I have to do the same thing. When we make a good comic, that's how we grow our audience. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics.
Dave, this is a great time to tell you that this show is being brought to our happy listeners by the nice people over there at DreamHost. DreamHost.com slash Comic Lab. And when we talk about uh, owning and controlling your own work, a big part of that is having your own website, something that Dave and I advocate for strongly. DreamHost is, uh, in my opinion, one of the best places you can turn to to get that whole process started. And if you're thinking about doing it like you should be, they've got some great hosting plans uh, mm-hmm. ready to go for you to start building Comic Lab specific uh, plans, yes. Yeah. And you can go to Comic Lab. I'm sorry. You can go to dreamhost.com slash Comic Lab and check them out. The shared starter plan starts at $2.59 a month, which let's face it, if you're just going to dip your toe in, you, you can't get better than that, right? No. Just to, just to no. start the ball rolling. The shared no. unlimited plan starts at $3.95 a month. It's all got, it, both of those have fantastic uh, features, including uh, single-click uh, uh, WordPress installs, uh, the, your website, your uh, if you want to include your domain, all kinds of great stuff. Plus, the one thing that I keep talking about over and over again is if you're like me and uh, you make a mistake here and there and you've got to uh, get in touch with somebody from support, when you get in touch with somebody from support, you're always talking to not only a real human being, but a real helpful human being. And they've <laughs> yeah, always that's a good way to say gotten it. me. Yeah, they've always gotten me out of trouble and, and ended up putting me in a better position than I than I was when I started. Super friendly, super nice, super effective at solving the problems that we cause on our own. And yeah. uh, I just can't advocate for these folks strongly enough over at DreamHost. And I got to tell you, the, the killer angle on this for both Brad and I is that long before they became a sponsor, nine, 10 years ago, Brad started in with DreamHost as a customer and has been a happy customer for the better part of a decade, if not a decade. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we we select the sponsors that we do is because we know and love them. And in Brad's case, they have been uh, a godsend for his career uh, in for uh, a decade online. And it's in yeah. fact, to the point where I'm being hosted by another service brand <laughs> that rhymes with Shmamazon. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, uh, Brad has been at me for years as a friend sometimes has to do to convince another friend. Like, listen, Dave, DreamHost is where you want to go. And I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to make the move. I and it's hard. Are you finally thinking about it? I've yes, been after you for years. I, I have to tell you that sometimes these things feel like they're a much bigger move than they are. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I bet when I come down to it, it's going to be four clicks and I'm done. Right. But yeah. but uh, it feels like such a big move to pick up sticks. And but Brad is like, it's it's better. It's more affordable. Yeah. The customer service is better. It's not this impossible back end that is uh, like, I, I don't know if you've ever talked to if for folks listening, if you've ever talked to anyone that's worked with Amazon's back end, not their front yeah. end where you can buy things like soap, but yeah. their back end is it's it's like an engineer's nightmare. It was designed in a in a torture <sighs> chamber. And I I spend days anytime something goes wrong. And on the most recent time, Brad, you were I think you really convinced me. You're like, listen, just make the move to DreamHost. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think I might be joining everyone else listening and, and going over to DreamHost.com slash Comic Lab. I'm not kidding. Uh, well, I, I, I hope you do. I hope you do, because I think I think it would be a smart move. It would be a smart move. In the meantime, if you at home are thinking about a smart move, check out uh, everything that you can get over there at dreamhost.com slash comic lab. And Dave, 
You've got an update for us. I do indeed have an update for us, my friend. So uh, I don't know if anybody's following the news this week, and we're not going to go too deep into the weeds on the news itself. But IDW laid off uh, 30, 40 percent of their um, of their staff right. um, in, in, in the same time that they made a managerial move in being passed along to the major stakeholder shareholders son or grandson. I don't remember which one it was. Doesn't matter. But the only reason I'm bringing this as an update is not another, oh, hey, look, a comics company is failing story because those come <laughs> once or twice a year. But yeah. what it is, is it's just a reminder that when you sign a contract with any company, uh, uh, whether it be Webtoons, whether it be Marvel, whether it be DC, whether it be IDW, whether it be Boom, is that when a potential change in ownership can happen like this, you are still locked into the contract, which transits as an asset to whatever the new entity that owns the company, right? Right. And sometimes what that means is you get, depending on your contract, you get locked into this weird, neither heaven nor hell scenario where you can't do anything with your book. They don't necessarily want to do anything with it. You are contractually not allowed to go anywhere else with it, but you're right. stuck there in this kind of weird nebulous in-between region where you can't get anything done. And so I think what we're going to hear in the next couple of months is a lot of these people that, that have a contract with IDW, their first book came out and they had a four book deal with IDW, but yeah. now that second, third and fourth book aren't coming out, but they also can't bring it anywhere else because they're stuck. They're stuck in this contract. And that's one right. of the things that I want to tell folks is just be careful when you're signing contracts to be planning for situations like this where there's yeah. a buyout or there's a failure or there's a takeover and somehow your contract gets locked up with a new entity that no longer cares about the original deal. Right. And that's, and, and honestly, to be honest, we had a show a while back where we said basically the theme was, and that's why I self publish. Yeah. That's really is for me. That's uh, a, a, and there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. Self-publishing too. Right. Yeah. We, we just got done talking about a little bit of it, right. Where sometimes you know, your website goes upside down or you're having trouble moving this over there and right. doing this right. and doing that. And you've got to do it all yourself and you've got to learn about a lot of stuff. Uh, but even with all of that, I would much, much rather be in control of my own publishing than to have something like this and, and then find out that, I, that there are circumstances beyond my control that I can't do anything about. But listen, don't. It, it, here's the main thrust of what Dave and I are both saying. You need to know the pros and cons of both of those mm -hmm. to make your decision, to make the decision that's best for you. That there, we've talked in the past, there are some some cases where I actually would uh, sign a publishing contract, right? If I was doing a kid's book or children's literature or a YA graphic novel, right? Then, right, right. Uh, then I think I would sign with the publisher because they still have inroads to those demographics and right, those audiences. Right. That would be worth it. But so sometimes sometimes it, it it's something that we actually do advocate for, but it doesn't matter what we're advocating for. That What matters is what you decide for yourself. Our goal is to give you as much information as we can so that you can make a good decision. Uh, but uh, I, at the end of the day, the decision is going to be yours. Yeah, and that's why my heart breaks for some of the IDW cartoonists that are now stuck because... 
they made their decision with the best information they had at the time. Yeah. And the, yeah. the editor that brought them in, Susan loved their work. And um, and her VP, Becky, also loved the work. And so Becky and Susan were on your side. They were going to make all four books. They were so excited for it. But now Becky and Susan are out of a job because there's been 40% layoffs that I, by the way, I'm making up names. They've been yeah. laid off at this, com whatever this company is, you can fill in a company here. Um, and now the new management doesn't care, vaguely knows about your contract at all. They were buying the assets for other reasons, not at all related to the other three books that you have coming out, but you right. can't take it anywhere. And and what I'm saying is that's one of the limbos. It's actually one of my big fears for friends when they go into deals like this is what happens if there's a takeover or a, a business failure or an acquisition and the new owners don't care but you're stuck. Yeah. And we've seen lawsuits, continuing years long lawsuits, trying to extricate yourself and yep. your book titles um, from deals like this. So it's just, it's as Brad and I always say, you know, it's one of the reasons we self publish, <laughs> Ding! you know? And so um, take that one, take that one with a grain of salt. Yes. And then I have one more update this week, Brad, for everybody. And I, I am now one year into taking Brad's advice. And I want to mm. tell you all as an update, how things went. Brad, much like he just uh, we got done saying with DreamHost, he yeah. has been gently nudging me for years saying, hey, incorporate Patreon's API into your website. It will make a difference. It is a it is a good move to make the API and Patreon play naturally with your website. And so that's what I did. It took a while to nudge me off the off the bench and mm -hmm. get me doing it. But Drive over at drivecomic.com has now had the Patreon API uh, associated into the website for a year now. And here are the results. Exactly a year ago, I had a hundred less patrons than I do today. Brad's advice, you can go to graftreon.com and see the chart. Brad's advice has consistently every month raised my uh, patrons by having the site, it, it has a happier community, it is mm -hmm. better, it has better features, it has a better functioning site, and up to uh, a, a, maybe even over 100 patrons in 12 months since it was launched. And yeah. you can look on Graftreon, it was stasis for three years before that. So that tells mm -hmm. you everything you need to know that Brad's idea, Brad's advice on this worked. And yes, much like it's taking me a minute to get off the fence with DreamHost, <laughs> once I made the move to incorporate Patreon, my life was better. It was yeah. a better way to do a website. So I just want to say thank you and an update everybody that Brad's advice worked on incorporating Patreon into my website. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. And one of the most important parts about that, and this is something I've talked about uh, in different places too, is getting your comments off of your website and onto Patreon. Yes, right? yes. Oh my God, <laughs> that yes. Was, that was such a, uh, an important part of making this work. Cause, and it's counterintuitive because you're like, well, why don't you want p comments on your website? You want to encourage that. Well, yes and no, <laughs> right? Yeah. You don't want to have just any comments on your website because sometimes you might have somebody that's not commenting very friendly. So you take that over to Patreon where if they want to say that stuff, they got to pay first. And all of a sudden you're filtering out all of that gunk that comes from somebody just doing a drive-by commentary, like, yes. like you see on Reddit all the time, for example, and you're taking that commentary and what's the result? A stronger community, a more friendly community, a much more, uh, a better experience for everybody yes. involved. Absolutely. And uh, Brad can attest to this because I'm not very complainy as a personality, but there were two readers 
that did exactly what Brad just said. They did drive-by commentary yep. and drive-by in the sense like, you're an asshole, you know, and then you're like, what, you, what was that for? And um, yeah. moving all my commentary and my community onto Patreon via this API integration has, like Brad said, it's made everybody happier. It's a vibrant, yep. happy, like Brad, you, I used to make fun of Brad because he would say, join us on Patreon, it's a party. Like yeah. now the drive <laughs> Patreon is really fun <laughs> because all <laughs> the jerks have self-selected out. They're not gonna That's pay to right. be a jerk, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so it's all kind people and funny people and really insightful people. And there's a lot of great fan theories. And so anyway, this is becoming too long, but all the update is to say, Brad was right. Listen to Brad, always listen to Brad. <laughs> I like, that. That's a good update, enough said. <laughs> so Dave, you've got a topic coming up next that I'm really uh, uh, intrigued about because I've heard of writing utopian and I've heard of writing dystopian in terms of a world, but you've got a third option I've never heard of. And I'm champing at the bit to hear you talk about this topic. Well, I, you know me, I'm a lover of words. And I just learned yeah. a word recently that I guess was only coined in the last 10 or 15 years. And the idea is protopian neither yes. utopian nor dystopian, it's protopian. Um, and the idea is that no matter what uh, a future you imagine, it's probably gonna be muddlingly okay. And that's true for most human existences is that they're mm -hmm. muddlingly okay. Are there moments of tragedy? Absolutely. Are there moments yeah. of utter joy? Absolutely. But most of life is, and, and so, one of the things, and by the way, this was a, an editor of Wired magazine that had coined this phrase, but the idea that we always think that like technology is going to make some utopian future, or we think that technology is going to make some dystopian future, when the truth is it's probably going to be muddlingly okay, right? right? You know, right. humans tend to course correct what's truly terrible. They also tend to slightly ruin what's truly wonderful. And uh -huh. so you end up with protopian rather than dystopian or utopian. And I, I mainly want to talk about it, not so much in your writing, but in your comics career in mm. that we tend to are be fired up by a utopian vision of what our comics career would be you right. know brad in 10 years i'm going to be i'm going to have six books that have one eisners and brad i'm going to have 40 million readers and i'm going to be on the cover of people magazine that's yeah. my utopian vision but yeah. then at night brad at 2 a.m <laughs> dave kellett is staring at the ceiling going oh, what if i can't make the mortgage next month brad oh right. god what a, that's my dystopian versions is that all oh, my god, my yes. fears and anxieties as a cartoonist of being owning and controlling my own work come out but the yeah. truth is if you aim for a protopian career where you have one three 5% growth every year. Yeah. You're not burning up the charts, but it's a version of that reader that asked us at the beginning, how do I grow my audience? The yeah. truth is you grow your audience by one, three, 5% a year, yeah. a month, a quarter, or whatever you want to say. You're never yeah. going to have this gangbuster thing where you flip a switch and suddenly bada boom, bada bing, there's your audience. It's kind of a protopian vision. The protopian vision is you work hard, you put out as many comics as you can, frequent, consistent, and significant. You do the best work that you can, and you're gonna have a protopian future. You'll you'll muddle your way into growth, you know, if you just yeah. keep at it. Yeah, and 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 it we talked not too so long ago uh about getting a comic on the front page of Reddit, right? And and yeah. we had gotten millions and millions of views and so forth. And and the upshot was how many new Reddit followers did you get that yes. day? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. it was like in single digits, right? And but but the, what Dave is saying uh prepares you for that. 
a lot better, right? Because you're, you, you can stop looking for that magic moment. You can stop looking for the guy to roll up in the limousine and roll the window down and offer you the standard rich and famous contract. And you're, you're, you, you've been discovered and now your career takes off because that didn't happen. And let's face it, except for a couple of notable exceptions, never happened. Right. That that's that's a dream that we were all handed. Those are fairy tales. Uh, and also this whole idea of, of you know, you're, you're going to, you know, die in a pool of your own uh, uh, ma- making, then uh, that's probably not going to happen either. You know, you're, yeah. chances are it's going to be somewhere in the middle and. A number one, it's okay to be in the middle. As as somebody who fought his way to the middle, I can tell you it's okay to be in the middle. <laughs> I and have clawed also, my way successfully to the middle, but, that's, that's but it's right. been a great life. It's been yes. a great life here in and, the middle. And, you know? and it's been a life of incremental changes, yes. little by little by little, getting a little bit better, doing a little bit better, being a little bit happier, being a little bit more successful. It, a, there's a lot to be said for a little. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I'm going to rephrase Brad because he always says, you know, you can't plan for your style, but you see your style or you can't drive towards your style, but you see your style in the rearview mirror. And when you're living a protopian cartooning career, you don't necessarily see or feel tremendous progress unless you look back five years. 10 years, 15 years, and then you go, oh, wow, I've come a long way with one, three, five percent improvement in my art quality or in my audience size or in my income every year Um, that that kind of realistic, um, manageably sized growth year over year over year is actually quite a lovely way to build a career. Because, Brad, we've also had it where the seemingly utopian career move where a sword comes along and taps someone on both sides of the shoulder and says, now you are a mega hit. But they kind of flounder, don't they, Brad? We've seen two or three friends. We're not going to name who they are. No. But it becomes for them dystopian because they weren't ready emotionally. They weren't ready financially to handle mega success. (sighs) And so... Honestly, I a little bit prefer my level of quote unquote fame, my level of quote unquote success. I, I, I have managed it. It's been me. Um, it's emotionally capable. I am emotionally capable of dealing with it. Unlike some friends who in their 20s got mega hit status and yeah. like kind of didn't know what to do with that. Yeah. Um, so honestly, I'm I've become kind of an advocate of of aiming for a protopian uh, life in cartooning. I think it is a nice way to shoot for the future. Oh, I love that term. I love that term. So, Dave, we've got another question from a Comic Lab backer. This one comes in from Gabriel, who says, I'm working on the cover for my book, and I'm realizing that I know very little about typography. Uh, which, by the way, that's the best. I, I love reading that because uh, understanding that you don't know a lot about a topic is actually very important. It's I'm not putting anybody down, but it's like so many people, they're like, I know enough. I can wing this. You know, Gabriel is saying, hey, I can see I'm going to need some help here. And that's that's <laughs> that actually you're, you're way ahead of the game here. Right. So Gabe says, when I've tried to research this, most of the advice I get is related to the interior of the books. And it's usually usually fairly basic. I know there are some rules of thumb for color theory. Are there similar rules for typography? P.S. I remember in the past you've mentioned not to use more than three different fonts for the cover. Are there more rules of thumb than this, especially in regards to the front 
and back cover of a comic. So, Dave, let's talk about typography rules of thumb. Okay, so this is uh, I I will say as my caveat going into this, I, I my career did not grow in a specialist fashion around typography in the way that probably Brad's did. So I'm going to give you my cartooning version of typography that I've gained over 25 years, which is I'll give you a couple things when you're doing a cover. Ideally, what you want to create is a font family fonts mm -hmm. that feel like they live in the same world. So imagine I've done a book that's uh, a Wild West cover, right? You can imagine a Wild West script, a Wild West, West serifed font, a Wild yeah. West, uh, boy, Wild West is hard to say, font that has like <laughs> bullet holes in it and they all feel the same because I've all pulled from the same era. Maybe they're all printed in the same sepia colors or reds. Uh, it has, or blacks rather for, you know, 1880s. Um, it uh, it all has the same feeling. It has the same look. It's a font family, right? But that's that's if I'm knowing what I'm doing, I would say pick three fonts in a font family. If you don't know what you're doing with fonts, I would say two fonts because then no matter what they are, they kind of become a font family if there's only two yeah. of them because there's yeah. no third one making a weird uh, triangle triad of, of disjointed fonts. If you have two, they're playing off each other. If you have three yeah. and you don't know what you're doing, things can get weird real quick. If yeah. you have four, oh my God, it sounds like we've fallen. <laughs> speaking of dystopia, we've fallen into a dystopian nightmare. I've seen that cover. Yeah. Um, so I will say this too, the other, and then I'll pass it over to the true master of fonts on this podcast. The other yeah. thing I would say is when you are picking fonts for a cover, you are a cartoonist and you're going to want to use what some people describe as cartoony fonts. They're basically body fonts that a lot of people associate with comics lettering, right? Like right. this is a font that cartoonists use to letter a comic. Yes. But here's the thing, that font was not designed to be a special effects font oh. or a title font or a right. blown up font at, at uh, you know, 200 uh, size. It was meant to be a font at 12 or 14 or 18 size and in the midst of a body font uh, approach, yep. not as a special title approach. So those are my two bits of advice is uh, three fonts if you know what you're doing, two if you don't know what you're doing, and do not use a body font, even if it's a specialized quote-unquote comic font. And now yeah. I pass over the reins to our true <laughs> resident <laughs> hero for fonts. Well, you've got the you've got the big one right there, and that is don't use a dialogue font for for the dialogue cover. font. That's it's, a better phrase. It's, yes, it's thank the you. First, it's the first thing everybody reaches for, and they are not built for that. They're not built to 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 be used like that, to be used large. They're just not. So don't do that. Okay. Now I'm going to actually scale you back a little bit, it, it, partic particularly if you're like Gabriel, where you're like, hey, I'm realizing I don't. I this is outside. I would say at that point one font i would even say one oh font. yeah just to just to really hedge your bets because it's not until you get a real good uh feel for this that you can even select two that you can't just select two and say okay you're a family now right that doesn't that doesn't work that way it doesn't work in real life uh, you know it does doesn't doesn't work uh, uh for fonts either so uh i, I would say one and you can, if you choose a good font, uh, you'll choose something that can look good large and it looks good fairly small. You you might uh, choose a font with different faces, right? That means it's got a, uh, a book version, an italic version, 
a bold version and even more faces than that, like a heavy version, a demi version. There's mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. a lot of different uh, faces to a font. Uh, so uh, if you choose a font that has all of those different faces in it, then you've got a lot of versatility right there. The way right. I'll, I'll just give you one one that was my fault and my my go to for years and years uh, in newspapers was Franklin Gothic, which I still like. I still like that font. Maybe maybe not for doing uh, uh, the Gothic, cover of a okay. comic, but I it, it like I don't think I'd use it on my comic. But I used it in graphics all the time, and it had a heavy, a demi, a Roman, an italic. Uh, it even had a light. <laughs> face right so i like i like a font that has that many choices okay so that that's the first thing i'm gonna tell you just one can i just tell you you sounded kind of old and grandfatherly there in a sweet way this is what it sounded like i like a font that has a lot of choices a font that lets me know that when i'm gonna invite that font out onto the dance floor it's gonna stay with me for a song or two you know what i like a font that's got a little italic it's got a little bold it's got a little bit of impact i like it all you know what i'll take them all i'm brad geiger i like fonts (laughs) that's right a lot of a lot of this is like finding a good dance partner right you want somebody that can tango and and some that can also uh, uh, slow dance, you know? And for Brad Geiger, Franklin Gothic is that font, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's right. Oh. You know what? It, it comes down to the G. It <laughs> comes down so to the sincere. G. I love the Gregorian G, that, that the one that does, it looks like two loops that are connected. Yeah. If you give me a font that has that kind of G, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll love you forever. That's, that's, uh, that's a, just a gorgeous I, I, it, Franklin Gothic does it for me. What can I tell you? Uh, but if you do end up going into two fonts, I want you to make one of those a sans serif font and one of those a serif font. All right. So what does that mean? A serif font has serifs on the letters. Those are little little uh, hashes or dashes that hang off the letter. If you take a look at Times New Roman, right? The, and you know those little uh, hashes that hang off the, the letters? Those mm-hmm. are called serifs, okay? So if you're going to go with two fonts, I would suggest making one of them a serif font. The other font would be a sans serif font. Sans right. coming from the French word without. Sans serif means without serif. That would be a font like Helvetica. The lines that create the letter forms don't have little hangers on and dashes and hashes and all that other stuff uh, that we call serifs. They're just the letter form. So if you are going to do two, I would suggest as a rule of thumb to make one of them a sans serif font and the other one a serif font, right? And then I'm, I'm going to stand next to Dave on this one. Don't go three, don't go four. You, you get to go beyond that. You've really, really got to call your shot, right? You've yeah, really yeah. got to be able to, 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 to have a sense for how these things are working together. And, and that's not going to happen if you're somebody that's looking for rules of thumb. Right. You're you're got to you got to keep it, it. What I want you to do is err on the side of caution until you get a better feel for this and make some conservative choices, some some laid back choices. It's much better to have uh, a book that has a kind of a plain Jane font and 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 it isn't it isn't super expressive than like if Dave's doing that old West comic and he uses a lasso font. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we've seen that. It looks like the words are made out of ropes and stuff. <laughs> the only problem with those, those look horrible and they're tough to read, especially at smaller sizes. So 
I want you to err on the side of caution. I want you to err on the side of readability. I also want you to take that font that you're thinking about and make it really big and see how it looks big. You'd be surprised. Some of these fonts fall apart when you use them big. Uh, You're you're like, oh, anything's going to look better, bigger, right? Some of these fonts look terrible big. And to that point, um, when you're doing dialogue and you're you're typing out the the brown dog ran over the green hill, you know, and you type that out into your dialogue, uh, for the most part, and in fact, only rarely do you ever modify the letting or the kerning of that, right? right? But here's the thing. You can't be so hands-off when you're doing a book cover. Yeah. Because every ascender, every descender, every bit of letting, every bit of kerning is up to you to modify because mm-hmm. you want those letter forms. And by that, I mean the descender on the first G is going to tuck next to the ascender on the lowercase H. And when that yeah. happens, it's way more pleasant than if they're touching, which looks terrible, or yeah. if they're over crossing over, which looks amateur hour. And so uh, you want to be able to infinitely adjust your letting. And so uh, you want to familiarize yourself, first of all, with what letting and kerning are basically the spaces between lines and the spaces between letters and most font designers will do the heavy lifting for you they design sort of uh, algorithms within the font that when an m follows an e it gets this much space when an m follows an o it gets a little bit more space because their fonts are you know uniquely designed but yeah. when you blow them up at two, as Brad was saying, 200, 300, 400 point, you see that some of those algorithms break apart or they don't quite work for the mood that you're trying to communicate. Right. And so for those reasons, sometimes, Brad, I've gone in, I've modified vectored line forms and, and, and yeah. I had to rasterize them and change them ever so slightly so that I don't get a curve where I didn't want one. Or yes. sometimes I will change the letting or the kerning just on two specific letters that are near each other, but not the rest of them, right? To get, right. The, to get the specific tucking that I want uh, yeah. between lines and between letters. And so what I'm saying is um, your title treatment of text is far more hands-on than your dialogue treatment of text. And just be prepared yeah. for that. Well, and 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 not for nothing, you should you should be keeping a little bit of an eye on the dialogue too. Like well, everything you just yeah, discussed that's true. That's true. is good for is good for dialogue too. But 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 your overall point is that uh, you're going to be looking at this stuff with a much more critical eye. And yes. as important as it is to see it large, you also want to turn around and get it really small and make sure yeah. that it's still readable when it's small. That's true. And now let's let's switch from um, typography to talk about title placement, because I want to talk about the reasons why many books have titles on the top or on the bottom or where they put them on the spine and the reasons for it, because you might not have ever noticed this before. So in the Franco-Belgian market, they almost always traditionally put the artist names along the top, usually like in a sans serif font, doesn't matter, but usually along the top. That's the important part, right? Because it was always an artist driven market. Um, And then what would happen is because they would in the Franco-Belgian market, they would sell the books facing out in comic book shops in France or in Belgium, which is not necessarily what they do in the U.S. book market. So you could have the title on the bottom because it was seen. You could see it on that shelf. Uh Right. But a lot of U.S. Canadian markets will either sell books spine side out or they will put it on a shelf where there's a tiny little lip of wood that comes up, if you know what I mean. And it would cover the book. Um, And so even sometimes even in in U.S. markets, when they have books facing out, they will gently lay the one on the right slightly over the one on the left. And so what you have with American comic books, especially, is you have titles at the top. Right. 
because also because Marvel and DC never wanted to promote the artist. They always wanted their title to be promoted. Right. right? And right. that speaks more to corporate control as much as anything else. They always want X-Men. They didn't want you to know that it was John Byrne drawing X-Men. Right. They wanted it to be X-Men first. Oh, by the way, it was by John Byrne. Whereas yeah. in the Franco-Belgian market, it was like Mobius and his new title, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. You know, who cares what yeah. it is? Um, so, uh, but they would go, the title would be at the top of the book and it would be airing towards the left side of the book because in case mm -hmm. they got flapped over one on the other when they were facing out on a shelf, you would still see enough of X-Men or Spider-Man and you would definitely see the Marvel logo. Um, right. And so they always had that on the upper left, which was the most visible most of the time for books. So just yeah. be aware of title placements considerations as you go to place your title. Yeah, you want to be able to see enough of it. And by this point, you've seen enough of Dave and I for to hold you over for an entire more week. So it's time for me to say that you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been my friend Brad Geiger, the, the line jeans wearing pal, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Link at evilcomic.com. And my, my always cool but soon-to-be-chilly friend Dave Kellett, co-director of the comics documentary Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com. And if a bear eats me in Alaska because I don't have any bear spray, I would like the Comic Lab theme song to be played at my funeral. It is used with permission by Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, and we know that you do, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star review on Spotify, where we are burning up the podcast charts. And Comic Lab is made possible by your continuing support on Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. So I will say that twice with all sincerity, Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. I mean, the downside, Brad, of attracting animals in Alaska is that, like, in my mind, I have a utopian vision of, like, the animals yeah. come up and they're like, welcome to Alaska, Dave. Welcome to the northern Kodiak. Whereas right. in reality, they walk up and they're like, how do you feel about rabies? Hmm. <laughs> now, my problem is that you have a utopian relationship with animals. I've got a protopian relationship with animals. They just come up and look at me and they go, yeah, I've seen better. You know, have you ever, have you ever, have you ever had a, been dissed by a squirrel? You know, they, they won't even, they won't even take the little acorns that I hold out. They look at it and they're like, nah, you know, a lady across the street has raisins. I got to tell you when, when Brad is being rejected by squirrel Tinder, life is not going great. <laughs> it's nuts, man. God damn, God damn you! Damn you to hell for that joke. No, oh, we're ending it on that because I have to go throw up. <laughs>